possible here. And this is a pretty lengthy uh, chapter, uh, probably the one of the longer longer ones in the New Testament. It has 58 verses. How many are people of faith? I believe Pastor can get through 58 verses. Nobody raised their hand. Three weeks, he says. Um, I've 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 got this down to, to, to I think two weeks, but and the reason that Paul uh, spends so much time in this 15th chapter on um, just and and it's lengthy is because it's a it, it's a very important doctrinal uh, doctrine, uh, a little bit of information. The, uh, how many know the Book of Corinthians is a corrective epistle from the beginning all the way in? He uh, Paul comes in and he is correcting some things. Within the church. How many know it was a good church, but they had issues, all right? How many know there's a lot of good churches, but everyone's got, got something that they could get a little bit better at, right? And so he, he, dealt, he deals with this, and he first dealt with disunity in the body and how uh, there was these factions of people who were wanting things one way and some were wanting it another way. Then in chapter 6, I believe he, he dealt with uh, marriage, which is a great chapter and kind of what that means, and so uh, you know, I would I would just encourage you to go back and read that if you are married. Go back and read that every once in a while. That's a, that's a great uh, bit of uh, of a chapter. Thirdly, uh, he deals with Christian liberties. We talked about that in chapters uh, ten and eleven, basically, and fourth, and then the gifts of the Spirit, uh, which were twelve and and chapter fourteen, and then here he deals with the resurrection. Everyone say resurrection. All right. The Sadducees uh, in, in the New Testament were like the Pharisees. They were uh, religious leaders. And, uh, but the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe Jesus uh, would raise from the dead. They didn't believe that in your life, okay, once you died, you were just gone. That's what they said. And how many know that Jesus said, I am the what? The resurrection and the what? Come on, right? And so, uh, but they did not believe that. So there's this group of believers in the Corinthian church who were struggling with the resurrection. And on top of that, uh, the, the Corinthian church was in, um, was in Greece. And one of the things that in the, in the Greek culture was they didn't believe in the resurrection either. Matter of fact, if you go back to when Paul gave his message at Mars Hill, uh, there with all the Greek philosophers and all that, that he did a, a very... Uh, a great job in that he talked about the resurrection. They actually mocked him for talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so uh, they, you know, and but anyways, the the going back to the Sadducees, they said this. Go ahead and, and, and believe in Jesus. Go ahead and believe that he died on the cross and, and he atoned for your sin. But don't believe in the resurrection. It makes really kind of no sense if you if you uh, know your Bible very well. And um, how many know that one of the things that the enemy wants to do is undermine the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Okay, the resurrection, come on now, you, you, you can write this down. Uh, the resurrection is the hinge on which salvation turns. No resurrection, there's no salvation for you and me. And so it is very vital for us as believers and, and people of God to understand that the resurrection is part of the gospel, all right? So I, I'll jump into this, and, and I'm, I'm kind of glad that Paul takes this, and he takes a lot of time to go over this doctrinally because with, if you get this wrong, the rest of it doesn't matter. 
And so I'm glad that he kind of slows down and does this. So let's look at this. Uh, Chapter 15, verse 1 says this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So uh, what he starts off saying here is, hey, uh, uh, remember what I taught you. How many... uh, how many of you remember your teachers in school? Some of you are probably like, well, that was a long time ago. And, and, and they said, this is going to be on the test. Remember what I said, right, in the lecture. And you'd be like, hey, uh, Miss, Miss Jones, I have a question about this on the test. And they say, remember what I told you during the lecture? How many remember that, all right? Some of you are trying to still forget those times that you missed those moments. But Paul is reminding them, hey, remember what I told you. Remember those sermons. Remember the instruction that I gave you about the gospel And he's basically saying this, if you don't believe in the resurrection, your faith is in vain. It's empty and it's useless. That's what that's that's how Paul starts this. Listen, if you if you think that that you're saved, but Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then then you're missing the whole point. Everything uh, in, in the here is doctrine. All right. And what he's talking about is doctrine then and it's doctrine today. The, the, the resurrection is the hinge on which our salvation turns, all right? All right, so Paul begins making a strong case for the resurrection of Christ. He says this in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance that I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, all right? Verse 4, that he was buried. Everyone say buried. That he was raised. Everyone say raised. Ah, on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So here Paul gives us the, the definition of the gospel. Uh, what is the gospel? Come on, we, we, we use this a lot, the good news. Everyone say the good news, right? You're right. Uh, and, and we say that, that as the gospel, but, and that's what it, what it means, but what, what is it exactly? And I believe Paul gives us a twofold definition of the gospel right here. A very easy one that I think even the smallest child can even understand. How many need things put in childlike perspective so you understand them? I do. And so I'm like, thank you, Paul, for, for doing this. So here's the first point that he, he makes out. This is uh, the definition of the gospel, that Christ died for our sins. Woo! How many are glad that Christ died for your sins? Amen. Isaiah 53, oh, man, that's beautiful. And matter of fact, going into Isaiah chapter 52, if you go back, I, I, I want to encourage you. Go home, pick up your Bible tonight. I know you probably already read your scripture for the day. Read it before you go to bed. Go to Isaiah, the end of 52, start reading in 52, read Isaiah 53. And, and I want you to look at that. It is a beautiful thing. Here uh, it says this, and I, I'm going to be reading it out of the King James Version, is this. He is despised and rejected of men. Who is he talking about? Who is the prophet Isaiah talking about? He's talking about Jesus Christ. Uh, but listen to this. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. And so he's talking about the Jewish people. Hey, he's, he's prophesying, hey, that, that he would be there in, in their midst, and they would not see them. Okay, he's making this prophecy. Verse 4, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Amen? Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Verse 5. But he was wounded for whose transgressions? Woo! 
Man, that's beautiful, isn't it? He was bruised for whose iniquities? Mm, man, that's beautiful. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes, who's healed? We are healed. Boy, there, boy there's a lot to unpack in that little bit of Scripture. That's, that's potent. I love to read that. And then verse 6 says this, all we like sheep have gone astray. This is talking about all of us as the people of Israel. This is, uh, uh, we've gone astray, each of us. We have turned everyone his own way, right? And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of who? Us all. Man, our iniquity was laid on Jesus Christ. He died on the cross. He carried your iniquity. He took your punishment that you deserve. And I don't know about you, when I think about the goodness of God, the fact that he did that for me, man, it, it just, it, it, man, I can't help but say thank you, Jesus. Amen? And so, so the first thing is Jesus died for us. Here's the second part of that definition of the gospel. He not only did he die for us, but he rose again. Everyone say he rose again. All right. Uh, uh, and where did they get their scriptures here on the resurrection? Paul's talking about it. it was written in scripture. It was not in the New Testament because the New Testament was not put together yet. All right. But where they are getting their scripture is where? In the Old Testament. So Paul would have been shown uh, by Jesus uh, and taught this. And he would have taught this to the Corinthians uh, uh, from Old Testament prophecies, there's some shadows and there's some types. Psalm 16:10, David points to it. Uh, we see uh, these types in the Old Testament. Uh, a good type of Jesus going uh, to the cross is Abraham and Isaac, his son. You know, uh, God the Father allows his son to take uh, the sacrifice. All right, so there's a, a picture of that. Here's another one. Jesus even alludes to this. He talks about Jonah. Come on, Jonah. Went down into the well for, or the big fish, if you want, if you if you want to say, for three days, and then he was came back up. And so even Jesus talks about this. Hosea chapter six verse two, the prophet said this: After two days, he will revive us. Come on, somebody! And on the third day, he will what? Raise us up that we may live before. Him. How many know that Jesus Christ died for us, but the completed work was when he rose again, overcoming death, hell, sin, and the grave forever. And how many are grateful that our God is victorious forever and ever and ever. Amen. All right. Verse 5. And that he appeared to Cephas. Everyone say Cephas. That's a guy from Greene County. You know who that is? That's Peter. The Apostle Peter, his, his, his name. And I don't know why uh, Paul calls him Cephas instead of Peter, but hey, it is what it is. Uh, but he says, he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive today. Uh, through some, though some have what? Fallen asleep. So after Jesus rose... Uh, from from the grave, he he appeared first to Peter. I, I, and why did why did God why did Jesus do this? Uh, Paul's writing this. He's Paul's the one that's writing this. But why did Jesus go to Peter first? I believe because he knew that Peter's heart was broken. He had just denied Jesus. And three times denied him, and, and, and Jesus saw him, and the rooster crowed just like Jesus had predicted and, and said would happen. And I believe that Peter was full of shame and, and was full of struggle, and he was just in his heart just 
broken. And I love what God does. He goes and he touches the one. Come on, he, before he goes to all the rest, he goes and he sees the hurting and he says, hey, I want to touch you. He had a plan for Peter. Of course, you guys know that. So, um, and then Jesus went and saw the other 12 or actually 11, and, and he calls them the 12, but there were only 11 at that point uh, because Judas was not around. So then uh, he, he was seen by over 500 men. So he's making a case. Paul's making a case here, okay? Cephas saw him or Peter saw him. And then all of the apostles uh, or the 12 disciples saw, saw him. And then there were 500 people, eyewitness people who saw him, right? How many know that's a lot of people to see you, right? All right. If there was a crime, how many witnesses do you need to testify in a crime? Come on, where's my, how many you need? You, right? The Bible says under, under two witnesses, but one witness, come on, can turn, a, can turn a court case around, right? And it's amazing that over, over 500 people saw Jesus. And I don't know, if you were to take those 500 people in a court of law, man, that would be a slam dunk case because it would be a sure thing that Jesus resurrected from the, from the grave. And matter of fact, Paul says this to the Corinthians. He's like, listen, if you're unsure that he is not rose from the dead, hey, go find some of the 500 people that saw him, and they'll tell you that they saw him with their eyes. So, um, and so look at this. Verse 7 says this, then he appeared to James. And James here is not the uh, uh, brother of John, but this is James, the half-brother of Jesus. Same mom, different dads. Right? Same mom, different dad, James, the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, so that, that flew over your head. All right. In Mark chapter 3, um, James, the half-brother of Jesus, he, he, didn't, he didn't believe and want to follow Jesus when he was doing his earthly ministry. Did you know that? He, he was just like, yeah, I don't know about him. I'm not 100% sure about, about He was skeptical. Uh, um, and then he went from being one of the biggest skeptics to when Jesus rose from the dead to being one of the leaders of the, of the early church because, man, he saw what, what Christ had done, all right? And that's what Jesus' resurrection does to us. Man, he takes us from being a skeptic to turning 180 degrees and going, I am all in for you. And James would eventually die. Come on, he would die a martyr's death uh, because he, he would follow through uh, with what, what he said. You know, I'm not going to do this halfway. I'm going to do it all the way, all right? Then all, and then to all the apostles, verse 8, last, last of all, as to one ultimately born, he appeared also to me. So here's Paul at the end. He's saying, you know, uh, you know, there's all these people. And then I will tell you, hey, he appeared unto me. Uh, and, and we know that that on the Damascus Road, I, I believe that 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 uh, who Paul saw that day uh, was was a Christophany. I think he saw Jesus Christ. I, I, re I really do. And I and, and but but but. Besides that, after that, after that moment, after he had been changed forever, Paul went and he was tutored by Jesus Christ in the Arabian desert, all right? And, and so there he learned how the Old Testament types and pictures, which Paul would have known very well, he would have been well-versed in all that, and how they spoke of Jesus. And so Paul says, hey, I, I came in late to the game, but I came in never, nevertheless, I saw Jesus too, all right? So verse 9 says this, for I am the least of the apostles. All right, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecu persecuted the church of God. 
So Paul says, uh, because I, I persecuted the church originally, I, I'm really the least of all these guys. I don't really deserve to, to carry this gospel. And later on in Ephesians, he would say this, I'm, I'm less than the least of all Christians. So here he's saying, hey, I'm the least of all the apostles. A little bit later, he says, Psh, I'm the least of all Christians. And then before he dies in 1 Timothy, he's writing Timothy, he says this. He says, Psh, you know what? I'm the chief of all sinners. And there's something about the closer we get to the Lord, the more we realize, hey, I'm in need of him more and more. And my righteousness is as filthy rags. And who I thought, though I thought I was good, the closer I get to the Lord, guess what? Man, I realize I need him more and more and more. So Paul says, hey, I, I came in late here. And, and, and so, uh, and I believe this, the longer that you live, the more aware of your sinful nature uh, that we can become, right? He saw the light of God's grace. You know what? He, in light of God's grace over him, he saw his righteousness and thought, I do not deserve this. How many feel that way sometimes? I do. Man, I think, man, Lord, why, why in the world, why in the world would you love me? I don't understand. Why would you, and sometimes I think, why in the world would you love this person in the church? Come on, you know you're human too. You think the same thing. But God's grace, everyone say, but God. Mm. And I think that's why Paul was a perfect person to preach on mercy and grace and the grace of God because he knew he didn't deserve it. I'm only standing here by the grace of God. So look at this, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. You remember what, what did Moses ask God? Remember there he, when he was going to see Pharaoh? He said, who, who should I say sent me? Because they're going to ask me who sent me. Who, who should I say? And, and how, did, how did the Lord answer him? He said, I am what? That I am. Exodus 3.14. And Paul said this, by, by grace, I am what I am. And he must have been thinking about uh, the Lord's statement there in Exodus. In Exodus 34, 6 through 7, the Lord passed before uh, Moses and proclaimed, and, and, and uh, the Lord, uh, the Lord, the Lord, a God of merciful and gracious, slow to anger. Come on, this is, this is who God is. And abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgressions, and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation? That's who God is right there. How many know that God is a God of mercy and God is a God of grace? I love that. Well, uh, we always seem to think that that if God came down to this world, that he would just come in and clean house. And some of us say, man, God, will you just come down and clean house in Washington, D.C.? Come on, you've prayed that. Come on, we've all prayed that, right? Lord, will you just come down and, and make things right? Uh, but, and God is a God of justice, but, but he chooses to be a God of, of, of mercy and grace. Justice, come on, if you're taking notes, write this down, means getting what, what we deserve, Right? Right? Justice means, hey, I, I deserve that. How many ever got a spanking growing up that you absolutely deserved? How many got a spanking that you absolutely did not deserve? 
Come on, I see liars in the house. No, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. But, but justice means you get what we deserve. Mercy, on the other hand, means hey, we're being spared the judgment that we rightly, rightly deserve. I should be in trouble for this, but man, God's showing me mercy. Grace goes even further than that. For grace means blessings we absolutely do not deserve. I, I love that. And so, so in Exodus, God said. He said this in that, that, that uh, scripture that I read. He was long-suffering. Everyone say long-suffering. And the Hebrew word for long-suffering means this. Long. Long. And we say, God, why don't you handle them? God, why don't you do this? God bears with other sins like he does ours. He's long-suffering. Hey, you know that politician you don't like? God loves them. Could you just say that, Pastor? 100%. So God is long-suffering, right? And and so we have to understand his his blessings on us. And how many are glad that God is long-suffering and full of mercy and full of grace? How many are, are, are glad about that? It's his nature. It's who he is. All right, uh, he is abundant in goodness and 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 uh, he he and, and truth, and he lavishes blessings on us, being completely honest and truthful. Man, I love that about our God. He, you know what? I, I you know, because God is so gracious and merciful to me. Guess what? I want to do good for Him. I do. I want to do what's right because, man, He's been so kind to me. I need to try to reciprocate that if I can. And God alone is the one who, who is merciful to, to millions, forgiving iniquity and rebellion and sin. So uh, I'll say this. When, when we are at our worst in sin, God is at his best in us. That's, that's, a great, that's a great statement. He brings conviction. Come on. And here's the thing. He brings transformation. Come on. A grace that does not change. I think it was Spurgeon who said this. I think I quoted this just a few weeks ago. A grace that does not, does not change you is a grace that will not save you. Transformation. That means I, I, I no longer I who lives but Christ within me. The old man is what? Crucified. He is, he is dead. Guess what? Behold, all things are made new. I am a what? A new creation is what the scripture tells us. I'm no longer that. I have been transformed in Jesus' name. Amen. And and um, and so we we look at that. So uh, let, let's go here. Let's jump jump ahead to this next verse. And and his grace toward me was not in vain. Thank goodness. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Through though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So when we're first are saved, we often look at at at. Uh, being saved, we look at doing works for the Lord. We think that we can work our way to heaven, right? Um, man, you know, we first get saved. Lord, what uh, what can I do, Pastor? What can I do, man? I'll tithe. I'll Bible study. I'll do prayer and 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 listen services, going to church, doing all, nothing wrong with those things. Those things do not save you, but they should be a byproduct of someone who is saved. All right. So, but as we grow in faith, we, we come to understand that works are the inevitable response to the goodness and the grace of God. 
because God's been so good to me. Guess what I want to do? I want to be good back to him. How can I help you, Lord? How can I serve you? What can I do? What do I have in my hand that, I, that you could take and multiply? And when I consider that I'm, I'm going to heaven and I'm saved and forgiven, that God has given me uh, his word, given me his spirit, guess what? I don't have any other choice but then to go, God, I'm going to give you everything I have wholeheartedly. A proper understanding of God's grace produces works. Let me say that again. Proper understanding of God's grace produces works within our lives. James said it like this. He said, faith without works is dead. And, um, and here's the thing. We, we can't be all faith-based with our lives not, not showing fruit of our faith, okay? <laughs> Man, you, you, you know, a matter of fact, the, the demons, you know, even said that. So you believe in Jesus Christ. That's great. You know? Uh, they even called out the uh, the disciples at one point for that. And so, but here's the thing: we we can't all be works based on the other side. We can't work our way to heaven. We can't go knock on doors and and try to be a missionary and try to do all these great things. There's nothing wrong with those things. It's not faith or works. It's not faith and works. It's faith that works. All right. And so, by God's grace, man, we're standing by His faith. We believe. And what happens, man, we love him because we love him so much and he has done so much for us. Guess what? Our life begins to produce good fruit. Come on. Good fruit. Works begin to come out of us. All right? So here Paul says, hey, I labor more than any because God has been so good to me and I can't help it. Is he bragging a little bit? I don't know. But he knew where God had brought him from. And he's saying, because of where God brought me from, man, I'm going to work my fingers to the bone until I die. I'm going to give God 100%, 1,000% of my life. So, too, if you embrace God's grace, you can't help but be engaged in service for him and, and be connected and doing something for the Lord. The longer I serve him, the more I understand his grace. It makes me want to do more and more and more for the kingdom. It's the way it should work. Well, some of you may say this, and I thought about this. Pastor, would you serve God if you were not the pastor? 100%. Would you go to church? 100%. Would you attend as faithful as you do because you're the pastor? 100%. Because God has been so good to me. All right, amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Verse 11 says this, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. So Paul's referring to those who had been, who had seen uh, Christ Jesus raised from the dead. Peter, the disciples himself, James, and, and at least the 500. So this next subheading is, talks about the resurrection of the dead. And uh, we'll go through this. Verse 12 says this, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. All right? He's just he's making a straight point, right? Verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, uh, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Why are we here? If Christ wasn't raised from the dead, why are we here? This is pretty much what he's saying. Verse 15. So we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that, that the dead are not raised. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, 
not even Christ has been raised. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and, and you are still in your sins. How many know the two parts of the gospel? Jesus died, Jesus rose. Hey, that's, that's the transformation. So Paul even, he's even telling us, hey, if, if Jesus died and he didn't raise from the dead, guess what? You are still lost in your sins. Verse 18, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So uh, that day, the people told Jesus, show us one sign. How many remember that, that story, the claim that, that you are who you say you are, Jesus? Show us one sign. And what did Jesus say in John chapter 2, verse 19? Jesus answered them. He said, hey, I'm going to destroy this temple, and in three days, psh, psh, I will raise it back up. And they were thinking, brick-and-mortar temple. And they were like, there's no way. No way this is going to happen. But he's talking about the temple uh, where, where the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Yeah, I, I thought this was interesting. I found this story. Um, Houdini claimed that uh, on the 15th anniversary after his death that he would come back from the dead. And magician Houdini, how many have ever heard of him, all right? And, and so on the 15th anniversary, some of his uh, avid followers uh, anniversary of his death, some of his avid followers went to his grave in San Francisco, and they waited on his return there at his grave. Seems silly, right? But check this out. They waited and waited and waited and waited, and then they went home. Jesus is unique to anyone else in the history of the world. Yeah, there were people in the Old Testament that were raised from the dead. Yes, Lazarus was raised from the dead, but Lazarus would go on to die. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and he lives forevermore. He's the only one in history who has ever done so. So people make claims, uh, but but how many know that our hero, Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ, that he delivered on his words. He, he said it. Hey, I, I, this temple, psh, I'm going to bury it. I'm going to tear it down. I'm going to bring it back in three days. And he said what he was going to do. And, and had our great high priest, how many know that Jesus is our great high priest? Had he not been acceptable, he would not have merged from the grave that Easter morning. On the Day of Atonement, and, and some of you know this, many of you Bible people, Bible students and people know this. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest, if he had any sin in his life and he went into the Holy of Holies, come on, there was anything that was wrong in his life, and he went into where the presence of God dwelt, he would die. Why? Because our righteousness is as filthy rags. He had to have just purity, uh, and man prayed through, come on, prayed up, how many would want that job? I think that you should be the high priest today is what I would have said. Hey, why don't you go ahead, right? Uh, but, but, but if, and, and matter of fact, such was the case that some of them would die to the point that they would tie a rope to them that if they stopped moving, they would drag them out of the Holy of Holies after they had died in the presence of the Lord. It's pretty amazing. But if the high priest came forth, come on, after they came back out on the Day of Atonement, they had sprinkled the blood, and, and, and the atonement took, and their sins were covered. How many know that they're back in the Old Testament when they sprinkled that blood, the animal's blood, that was just a covering of their sin. But how many know that Jesus' blood not only covers us, but it removes our sins. It blots out our sins is what 
what Scripture tells us. And so Jesus was wrapped in linen, and he was placed in a tomb, and all heaven wondered, and all history waited, uh, did this offering take place? Because he emerged from that grave, that, that Easter morning, we know that the offering indeed took. We know his blood was accepted, amen? Oh, the blood of Jesus that what? Washes. Not just covers, but washes me white as snow. It as if my iniquities never happened. Amen. So no matter if you were uh, 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 talking to a skeptic at work, and some people may say, "Well, I don't know if Jesus raised from the dead," or, or you know, if they they argue with you, maybe at school or whatever the case. He he's unique that he's the only one in history who claimed he would die, and raise again, and he did it. Go to the grave of Muhammad. He's there. Go to the grave of Buddha. He's there. Jesus went into a borrowed <laughs> grave because he was only going to use it for just a short time. Amen. How many know that our God is victorious? Amen. It validates his claim, and it means our sins are forgiven. Verse 19 says this. If in Christ we have hope, everyone say hope, in this life only we are of all people, most to be pitied. So in this life, if we have hope in Christ, why are we all miserable, okay? So what's what's he saying here? Because in this life, we always have this hope that, that life is going to get better. If we, are, if we believe in Jesus Christ, come on, we know how many believe you have everlasting life. How many know that when you leave this life, you're going to go to the next life. You're going to be resurrected. What's the rapture, rapture says? Uh, you know, when the rapture takes us up, our bodies are going to come up. And, and, and we have hope that, that there is something else coming. Amen. As believers, we have hope that there will be no more bills. Praise the Lord. Amen. As believers, we have hope that there will be no more tears. Come on. How many got some family members that you want to see someday, amen, and that will be reunited. There's, there is hope, amen, and, and here's the thing. This group and this philosophy, this Epicurean philosophy that was permeating saying that, that there was no resurrection is, is right there, and, and here's, this is what Paul's saying is in the middle of all of that, he said, if you believe that there is no resurrection, there is no hope in you. Colossians 1.27 to them, God chose to make known how great among uh, among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery, which is Christ in you. Everyone say Christ in you. Say this, the hope of glory. Hope is what? The expectation of what? Coming good. It's a simple biblical definition. Glory in the Greek there, it means this. You ready for this? Number one, it means this. Of the condition, all right, this is what glory means. Of the condition with God the Father in heaven to which Christ was raised after he had achieved his work on earth. Here's the second part of that definition, okay. The glorious condition of blessedness into which is appointed and promised that true Christians shall enter after their salvation, after their Savior's return from heaven. That tells me this, that hope of glory means that there is something coming beyond this life. Amen? I mean, how many know that there's still hope? As long as you're connected with Jesus, there's always hope, all right? Verse 20, 
But in fact, Christ has been raised from dead, and the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So what does that mean? And, and in the Jewish celebration following Passover, right, we know Passover, that was when uh, the time that Jesus was crucified, the Passover feast. But right after that was the Feast of First Fruits. And it's on the Levitical calendar. You can look it up. But during the feast, uh, uh, during that feast, the people of Israel would, would grab their wheat that they had harvested and they would wave it towards the heaven. And they would, they would show in gratitude the Lord, showing gratitude to the Lord for his provision and for his promise that he was going to keep his promises toward them. All right. So when did Christ die? The day following Passover. And then on the Feast of Fruits, guess what? He came forth. So Jesus, the first fruit, because there is more to come. He's, he, he opened the door for you and I, all right? And, and, and so we love that. Everyone say, uh, man, Jesus is the first fruit, but there's more to come. And who is it to come for? Everyone say, me. You and I. You and I. Jesus is the first and only resurrected, never to die again, but many more will follow what scripture teaches us all right ready for this verse 21 for as uh, uh, by a man came death by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead verse 22 for as in adam all die what is he saying there everyone who was born into sin the adam and eve man they they blew it we man they they just blew it and, and we were born into sin so also in Christ shall be made alive because Christ came he fulfilled what needed to be fulfilled the the first Adam the Old Testament Adam sin Jesus came and and the second Adam lived a perfect life come on how many know that he made a way that that we could be free verse 23 says this but each in his own order Christ the first fruits then at his coming to those who belong to Christ so um uh, just to kind of put this this way, he we were born into sin and death by the first Adam. Everyone say thanks, Adam. But the second Adam, Jesus, we were born into life again. Jesus came and said, I will give you life and life what? Woo! Come on, somebody. Adam killing us, Jesus saving us. Amen. Jesus, oh, come on, Jesus reversed the curse. He did. He reversed the curse, the curse of sin, all right? Verse 23, the resurrection spoke here uh, begins with Christ and will conclude when those who are martyred in the tribulation uh, uh, because of their faith in Christ. You say people are going to be martyred. Uh, yes, in the tribulation, there, there are people who are going to take a stand. Man, they're going to do it by the skin of their teeth, but they're going to stand there. But, but Revelation 20 goes on to talk about a second resurrection that takes place at the end of the millennium, okay, going a little bit further after a thousand-year reign, when all unbelievers will stand before the great white throne judgment. All right, how many have ever seen that play, the great white throne judgment? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, all right. <laughs> I, I don't have time to really break that down tonight, but but the first, here's what you need to know. The first resurrection speaks of those who were brought into life because they are saved. All right? First resurrection. In 1 Thessalonians, it, it, it talks about that the dead in Christ shall rise first. You know, um, those who 
have went. Their, their bodies. Now, uh, you know, some would say, well, where's their soul? You know, it, it, you know, these bodies, these are just these temples that we're borrowing for this time frame in our, in our lives. But the Bible, man, the teaching on that, that the dead in Christ, I'm a little bit jealous of the people who get to get to heaven just a smidge earlier than, the, than us. But the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then it says, they that shall remain, come on, will, will be caught up in the same way. Amen. And this world's going to be chaotic when that happens, all right? But look at this. The second resurrection is this, the resurrection unto death, because it is made up only for, of, of, for the unbelievers at the great white throne judgment. How many are thankful for God's blood? How many are thankful for Jesus' blood? Jesus' blood washes me. It cleanses me. It makes me right. Verse 24 says this, then comes the end. And when he delivers the kingdom of God and the, and the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, whew, man, Paul's, man, he's, he's going down a long, long trail here. For he must reign until he has put all, the, all his enemies underneath his feet. And the last enemy will be destroyed is death. So when the last kingdom of death is cast into outer darkness, Christ will rule and reign unchallenged. That's what Paul's saying right there. Think how good of a day that will be. No death. Come on, right? And Christ is ruling and there's love. Come on, and there's joy. And there's the goodness of God. And the last enemy to be destroyed forevermore. No more taunting you and no more worrying and Doctors saying that you're going to be ill and this and that, and you have this fear of death. Come on, that thing has no sting anymore, amen. So God will establish his kingdom on the earth, culminating into a new heaven and a new earth. Scripture, that is, that is 100% scripture right there. I don't have time to break that, break down into that. Maybe I will at some point. But verse 27 says this, for God has put all things in subjection. Everyone say subjection. Under his what? Under his what? Man, if, you, if something's under your feet, you got authority over it, right? You got it. What do you do when you see a snake? I don't tell you what I do if I see a snake with my foot. I put my foot on top of that snake to let it know who has authority I don't want to, but I will, right, underneath his feet. So uh, one, one commentator said it like this, with the exception of, of God, all things are under the feet of Jesus Christ. It's like, well, wait a second, what, what do you mean by that? Soon Jesus will take control over that which is twice his, that which was given to him by his father, and that, that uh, uh, by the Father, and that which was purchased by his own blood at Calvary. Let me, let me break that down, or let me jump ahead here just to help you understand what I'm saying here. Verse 28 says this, when all these things are subjected to him, when the Son himself will also be subject, subjected to him, who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. So this, are you saying this, Pastor? Are you saying that Christ is under the Father? No, I'm saying Christ chooses to submit to the Father, and, and he has when he was here on earth, and he remains there. It is a choice. What do you mean by that? Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 through 9, it says this. But 
this is talking about Jesus, but he emptied by taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of men, and being found in human form, he what? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, and even death on the cross, verse 9, therefore God, this is what God the Father does, he has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above what? Every other name, verse 10, so that the name of Jesus, come on, hear this out, that the name of Jesus, every knee will what? In heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue will do what? It will what? Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Man, that's a potent scripture. So the Son shall remain in submission to the Father, not because he's inferior, but because it's his choice. And, and, and this, this is an effect that, that is still uh, remains. Verse 29, otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? Okay, Whew, here's a funny, funny verse right here. If the dead are not raised at all, why are people uh, baptized on their behalf? So, all right, not picking on people here. Our Mormon friends... Uh, uh, you know, they use this verse to teach that a person can be baptized in, in, in place of relatives who died generations ago. So they can do proxy baptisms um, for uh, great-grandpa Zeke and great-aunt Pearl who were not people of the faith, but they're going to proxy baptism there. It's not what Paul's saying here, okay? And this is the only place that, that you will find uh, uh, this verse in the Bible, but it's not what it's saying. They've they've construed this. They've made this something that is not. It's one of the reasons that you know uh, the Mormons are so big on uh, genealogy and stuff, uh, because they want to know who their uncles and stuff were and all that. But that's needless here here to say. But what this verse is simply saying uh, um, is is this um, uh, is this right here is that uh, it's it's simple. He's saying this. It's baptism. He's talking about baptism. Why be baptized? What does, bab what does baptism represent? We what? Die. We're buried. And we're what? It's, it's a symbol of what Christ did for us. Well, according, you know, if there's no resurrection, then we should stay under the water. Right? Baptism is a symbol of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's simply saying, hey, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, why in the world are you getting baptized? And, and, and so that, that tells us that. Verse 30 says this, why are we in danger um, uh, every hour? Verse 31, I protest, brothers, by, by my pride in you, which I have in, in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. Man, what a prayer. What's he saying? I, I got to die to myself every day. I, 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 I just need to let these things go. So why are you, why, he's saying this to the, to the Corinthians there. Why are you cel celebrating this Epicurean Christianity that, that says Christ didn't raise from the dead? Why would you do that? I, and, and Paul's saying this, I am risking my biscuit every day because I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I, I'm, I've been whipped I've been shipwrecked. I've had all these things happen to me. And, and listen, why would I even come close to being a martyr of Christ if I didn't believe uh, what, what, and stand on what I, what I know is the truth? Verse 32, 
what do I gain if, humanity, huma humanly speaking, I fought with the beast of Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. <laughs> so if you look at this, that's an interesting verse. Commentators are a little bit divided on this verse. Some say Paul is, could have possibly been thrown into a, an arena uh, with wild beasts, which was very common in that time. And, you know, they would throw lions. And we know Paul didn't die that way. Uh, some say that that could be what he's talking about, the beast of Ephesus. I don't know. Uh, or it could mean that Paul was is talking about men who are acting like beasts. They wanted to, to rip at him, and they wanted to, to cut at him. Either way, what we know about Paul is that this, he endured at Ephesus and all that he did. And so why would he do that if there was no resurrection? Look at this, verse 33. Everyone say this. Do not be what? Do not be what? Bad company ruins good morals. Woo, okay. Circle that. Put a pin on that. Put that on your refrigerator. Put that in your car. Put that on your phone. What? Bad company what? Ruins good morals. Birds of a feather flock together, right? Rotten people, right? And, uh, man. And, and, and what he is saying here is this. Listen, you, the Corinthian church. Your, your discussion with these Epicureans, these, these non-resurrecting believing people, is, is making the simple gospel too complicated for you. The gospel is simple, right? And to the Greeks, it was all head knowledge. To the Sadducees, it was all head knowledge. And they were doing nothing but bringing confusion. Who is the author of confusion? <laughs> Who's the author of confusion? Paul's, Paul's clearing this up, so he's saying this. Man, stop hanging around those people because they're ruining you. Oh, man, nobody wants to hear that, right? A little leaven will ruin the whole loaf. That's what the Bible says. A little leaven, a little sin will ruin the whole loaf. A little bit of corruption will ruin the whole thing, right? This, this is, man, I know nobody wants to talk about this. And I don't know, this is something that we can all learn from right here. In, in a lot of areas of our life, not just talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, stop hanging around people who are inviting you to sin. Come on, pastor, I'm trying. Not all friends are good. Woo. Some may be pulling you from the truth got to have that discernment in your heart and go, this isn't right. I love you, but you're wrong on this one. The Bible says this, verse 34, and this is where I'm going to end tonight. Wake up. <laughs> Look at your neighbor say, wake up. From your drunken stupor, as is right, and, and not, not go on sinning. <laughs> I love that statement. Stop sinning. Stop. Stop sinning. I can write it. Paul said it. Get mad at him. For some have no knowledge of God, but I say this to your shame. So he already told the Corinthians to stay away from fellow believers who, who lived immoral lives. So he's telling them, hey, stay away from these people who, who are false teachers. That's, that's what he's saying. People were struggling with this, and, and 
and, and still today people will struggle with this. It's why the apostles, they came up with the Apostles' Creed, which is not in the Bible. Um, the only way I know how to describe it is, is a mission statement or core values of, of what they believe. And remember, they didn't have the New Testament, but they would go around and they would quote this thing. And there are variances in it. But it, it simply is this. It says, it says this, the Apostles' Creed says, I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, listen to this, was crucified, died, and was buried he descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven, and he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. Man, we just talked all about that. Then it says this, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church. The Catholics would have you think that that should say Catholic Church right there. How many know that the church is Jesus Christ? It's not a denomination. The communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So the gospel is this. And if you'll help me, Kentley, if you will, on the piano. The gospel is simply this. All right? Simplified. Should have just did this in the first place, Pastor. It is the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. Don't overcomplicate it. It's because Jesus died for my sins, and he rose again, overcoming my sins. Come on, forever and ever and ever. See, we see pictures of it in the Old Testament, right? We see pictures, uh, scriptures on it in the New Testament. And without the resurrection, the hinge of salvation cannot swing open. Romans, and I quote this scripture a lot when I preach, but Romans 10, 9 through 11 says this says because if you confess with your what that Jesus is what Lord and believe come on and believe in your heart that God what raised him from the dead you will be saved verse 10 for with the whole heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, verse 11, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. How many are grateful for the blessed hope of Jesus Christ? <laughs> Here's the thing, as a believer in Jesus Christ and, and what he's done, I have to believe the complete work of what he did. He came to this earth. He was virgin born. He, he lived a perfect, sinless life, became so he could become our sin on the cross. And he was perfect. He, he, man, everything that we're tempted at every day in our lives, guess what? He was tempted at in, in every way, but he withstood temptation. How, how many are grateful for that? And he came and he died and he rose from the dead. He beating death, hell, sin, and the grave forever. Amen. I love that. And 
I, here's the thing. I, 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 ha- I must believe that Jesus died, and I, I must believe that he, was ra- that he raised from the dead. And I must confess, not only believe it, but, Lord, I, I, I confess it. Lord, I, I am putting it out there with my mouth. I, I'm not only just believing it here, but, Lord, I am speaking it. Amen. Jesus rose from the dead not to die again, but to live forevermore. Will you just close your eyes for just a moment?